Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Kim Drobes, in for Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Today, we'll be letting our DIY spirit shine as we hear from multiple artists of assorted styles that are finding success on their own terms. From fashion to fragrance to performance venues, these artistic Atlanta entrepreneurs share what it took to get their dreams off the ground. First up, two Atlanta designers have been selected by the giant retailer Target to showcase their exclusive collection in honor of Black History Month. Jolie Noir is the inclusive fashion brand of elevated leisure wear designed by sisters Kim and Keandra Lockett. Jolie Noir offers sizes from extra small to 6XL and celebrates the beauty of Black women in their designs. When the sisters recently joined Lois via Zoom, Kim began by describing the moment they got the news that Target wanted to carry Jolie Noir in their stores nationwide. We were super excited when we got the news. We actually received two emails, one through our business email and another through my personal email and when we initially got the email I had to do a little back and forward just to see if this was real and I still didn't believe it so I took it to our mom my sister and then our business coach at the time and I was like um guys is this real because <laughs> you know <laughs> we're living in the age of spam True. <laughs> and hackers <laughs> And so our business coach, she went to do a little bit of research on LinkedIn on the um, person who their signature was at the bottom. And she was like, you guys, this is real. And so we did a lot of screaming and laughing and crying (laughs) without even knowing what they wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that makes me curious. What was the submission process to be? selected by Target? Actually, there wasn't a submission process. So the person, the um, senior buyer of their multicultural division, she reached out. She was looking for brands to partner with for Black History for this year. This is the first of its kind for Target. They've had, I think in the past two years, they've had Black History displays, but they've never done it like this. And so she really wanted it to be special. She wanted brands that that kind of went well with the Target brand. And so she found us on Instagram. And she also said that she liked our appearance of our website and everything. So yeah, that is that was the process for us. It, it wasn't anything super special on our end. <laughs> oh, I, on the contrary. I think it's all the more <laughs> impressive that <I> so. <laughs> you didn't have to draw anything, send any samples. <laughs> they discovered you. Yes. That's, that's tremendous. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, so... Tell us, what inspired you to launch Jolie Noir? 
Well, hi, Keandra here. We thought that it would be really important because we've always been into wanting to be in the entrepreneurial space. But um, we started in 2009 with a business called the Red Glasses Sisters. And of course, it wasn't as niche heavy at all. We, you know, really were kind of... Um, we limited ourselves with that and we, you know, we noticed it. So we've always wanted to be entrepreneurs, but this whole like situation or the idea behind this business was to affirm and validate black women, as well as to just build our wealth up, if you will, you know, and uh, we think that it's very important as black women, but as people period to have our own and to build up some type of wealth for ourselves. And we just so happen to be able to build the wealth, but also we're able to build people up and edify them as well, which of course, right now in this time, we all need that, you know? Yeah. And um, this is Kim. I just wanted to add to that, that Keandra is a singer, a songwriter. And so she was advocating for women in general with her own brand. And then at the time that we were looking for new names, I was also going through my master's program uh, for counseling. And I learned of a lot of statistics that seemed to shed light on Black women being kind of at the bottom. So we wanted to create a space that we could be celebrated within our own community, if you will. We didn't want our business to kind of wage war on anybody. It was just to, you know, celebrate what's uniquely us. Because even within our community, we've, you know, had, I guess, you know, differences um, of opinions and ideas. And we just wanted to come together, basically, and share what's beautifully ours. We didn't see anything out on the market in our size range or showing beautiful blackness. So we wanted to be that insertion and have a little bit of equity, if you will, in the fashion industry. I really enjoyed looking through your designs. And if I may add, one need not be black to enjoy wearing them. Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I especially love those colors of praline and olay and that <laughs> leads me back to the name of your line what was behind your choice of Jolie Noir, beautiful black <laughs> well um Kim and I hi I'm Keandra Kim and I are from Louisiana so of course we don't have any like roots based in you know French and things like that. But, you know, of course, Louisiana is full of French culture. And we thought that it would be something really cool as a kind of conversation starter to, you know, allow people to ask questions, inquire about the brand a little bit more, I guess, to, you know, bring upon like a challenge, if you will, for them to be able to talk about it and, you know, just discuss the beauty of the apparel, but the mission behind the brand as well. Well, it also evokes a certain elegance still with French. Oh. You say Jolie Noir. <laughs> Think Chanel. Yes. <laughs> Yves Saint Laurent. <laughs> I'm curious about your aesthetic. How would you describe the brand's style? So we say that we are elevated essential wear. So it is definitely elevated. It is chic, if you will. Like it has lots of color, lots of boldness, but at the same time, it has a simplicity. The basis of all of our designs will be black, white. It's funny that you mentioned Chanel. Oh, this is Kim, by the way. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Chanel and other brands because that is the kind of feeling that we want you to get that this is something that's timeless because you'll always need a sweater. You'll always need a good pair of comfortable pants, something that you can throw on to work out in or to run to the door, to go to the grocery store really quickly. You kind of always need those pieces. It's clean and it is simple and with a little bit of boldness as well. You mentioned the chic and elegant aspects of it. I was curious about the price points. 
I don't think in comparison to other athleisure lines that the prices are in any way unreasonable. They seemed high from my perception of the target shopper. Was that something you had to negotiate? This is Kim again. So with Target, the buyer actually spoke to us about that. That was one of the talking points when she was talking about the partnership with us. And since Keandra and I and our mom, we're all really big Target shoppers. We are kind of familiar with this format where designers will come in, they will have a more expensive, much more expensive even than ours price point, but it's more affordable. Target brings them in as a partnership, you know, with a partnership to be a more affordable way for their guests to have a piece of that brand. And so it's no different. So the Target shopper what the, I guess the assumption is for Target um, and the impression that I got was that this is something that is special, unique, limited for Target and that it is not to be expected on the particular brands, the partnered brands website. So it should not come as a shock to the Target guests unless they are just not familiar with the format, which is understandable because everybody doesn't follow that type of situation because a lot of people are coming to Target to support each brand. So that is just verbiage that we would have to, you know, um, handle on our our end. But for the most part, this is something that's expected. So did you create these designs to be sold exclusively in Target or are these designs available through your website? Keandra here. Actually, we had a whole lot to do with this particular collection in Target. They took pieces from our website and revamped them for uh, their collection. They asked us our opinion, asked us which you know pieces we'd like to take from our website. They sent over like colors and different things like that. And we were able to choose from all of the colors. So Kim and I came up with this collection. All of the ideas were ours, just like we do with our website as well, which was super important for us because as designers, we definitely want the autonomy to be able to do whatever it is that we do, especially with someone as big as Target. Oh, yeah. The colors in Jolie Noir's new collection of sweatshirts and joggers are rich in different tones. Would you talk about how the variety of colors highlights darker skin tones? Yeah, you know, I always say the more brown the skin, the more the color will pop. It's just a really beautiful color contrast. And then also, even on the opposite spectrum, obviously, the darker the color, the lighter the skin, it's a really nice contrast. I I love color contrast. And the colors that we choose, though, they are usually warmer because they tend to agree better with our warmer skin tones, our rich brown skin tones. And they usually can you know, go with a neutral or a warmer undertone or a cooler undertone very easily. So being that I can, am a wardrobe stylist, I do look for those things. And I try to be conscious of that when we're designing to make sure that we are, you know, putting something in there that if it doesn't agree with everyone's skin tone, we do have something that represents something that can work with everyone's skin tone and undertone. I love that Olay and the praline <laughs> shades, and yeah. Oh, and the sweatshirt with Jolie Noir on it, just ever so simply. I would wear that. Oh, wow. And we'd love you yes. to wear it. And if you need us to send you pieces, we'll definitely send them. <laughs> it's very kind. Uh, I, th- I think it would only be fitting if I would purchase it. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> so... I'm also curious about why it was important to you to offer apparel that is gender neutral. Yeah, you know, we've had a a large following of men 
even dating back to our Red Glasses Sisters days, which was part of the problem of the name, it was very limiting. And so when we sought out to have our new name, we wanted something that was not just the conversation piece, but that could stretch and that could be anything, you know, but more importantly, what we've discovered on this journey is that our message, it resonates with Black men as well. We've had many testimonies of Black men being encouraged and empowered by seeing us brown, you know, darker brown skinned women pushing out beautiful Blackness and that Black is beautiful because they too were taunted for the color of their skin when they were younger and they're still trying to you know, get over the effects of that in adulthood. And so we realized that this was not just something that, you know, well, and it wasn't even a realization. We understood that, but because women in general overlooked all the time, it's like, you know, you kind of want to champion for yourself, you know, sometimes, but you know, this is not just a a woman issue. This is a family issue. Actually, we realized that the entire black family has been impacted by our own words and words of others. So it was important to include them. So we gave them a little shelf in the closet and we say (laughs) a little space in the closet of Jolie Noir. It's not super big, but you know, it is a little nod to our Black men who also identify as struggling with liking and loving themselves in the skin that they're in. As everyone should. Yeah, absolutely. What happens after February? Will the merchandise continue to be offered in the Target store? That's our hope. (laughs) We hope that the messaging that is sent to Target is that we want to be on their floors. Target does not have a lot of opportunities, long-term opportunities for different apparel. The apparel that stays on their floor is by Target. But we're hoping that just like in beauty and uh, in home goods that they, you know, give us a little space (laughs) on their shelves to create unique pieces just for Target. So that is our hope. But as far as it goes now, it is just now through February. But we're hoping that our great sales because we have done really well. So we're hoping that that's really making an impact to the top people. <laughs> Great. Are you available in other retail stores? We are not currently available in other retail stores. We would love to be. We have our list, sure. <laughs> our mental list of where we want to be. <laughs> well, one would think this would be an entree. Uh-huh, we're hoping. <laughs> <laughs> where are your designs made? So we create them here in Atlanta, but we send them our ideas to an illustrator and then our manufacturer here in the United States for U.S. orders. They're in California as well as North Carolina. Okay. No sweatshops overseas. Correct. No. Well, <laughs> That's important to us. <laughs> good, because as consumers, we, we don't always know about the manufacturers. Correct. What's it like working together as sisters? Do each of you have your own strength or specialty within the business? Honestly, I feel like Kim's strengths are stronger, if you will. She'll argue, and I'm sure she's going to say afterwards, that both of us have strong parts in this whole thing. You know, we have equally working parts. And that's true. But honestly, my sister, like, this has been her dream. And so I'm very excited for her, very happy that, you know, it's happening for her, as well as for myself and our mom, who is a part of the business too. But um, working together, it's a dream. It's just, it's beautiful. No arguments. It's just so great. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I am so not telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have our moments. But I, I think that the most exciting part is the fact that we're family doing this. You know, it's a great sisterhood. It's a great bond um, and a great example for our followers as well. But, you know, working together every day, I, I just feel like, and this is what we say all the time, you know, even after all of the arguments, we've gotten, you know, to this point, let's just continue on and, you know, continue to soar, continue to get great results. And, you know, that's what it's about at the end of the day. And we're sisters. We're human as well. So 
you know, it's, I guess, okay to argue as long as you forgive and get over it at the end. <laughs> it is human, but your, your closeness is evident. Your mom must feel very proud. Oh. Yes, she is. <laughs> you mentioned your followers. How can fashion lines such as Jolie Noir help empower other Black fashion designers? Yeah, I always say that the phrase representation matters is so important for the overlooked groups, if you will. So just the fact that people are able to see us in a target or having the following and having the impact on our community that we do, that in and of itself is something that will give them the strength. In school, I learned about vicarious learning. So I would call it vicarious winning, which is winning through a person and learning how to win through a person and being able to translate into that into your life, you know, and generalize that for you um, and see what that looks like for you. So other Black entrepreneurs definitely can see how this actually works with women you know, being female, we're female founded, 100% female owned, but then we're also black. And so that is a huge feat. That's like, you don't see that every day. And so for other black entrepreneurs out there, where our hope is that they're able to take a look at us and take a page from our book on how to, you know, model as a business and how to run your business well and get the following and get people to be inspired by what it is that you're doing. Atlanta fashion designers Kim and Keandra Lockett. Their clothing brand, Jolene Noir, is available in Target stores nationwide and online. More information is available on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, we'll find out what the heck is Heck House, and learn a bit about Scottsdale's newest indie DIY venue. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Kim Drobes, in for Lois Reitzes. Great to have you along. Atlanta has a wonderful tradition of independent multimedia art venues. Think about when iDrum began in the late 90s, or how about the 2017 beginning of the DIY venue The Bakery on the West Side? Well, about two years ago, art lover and entrepreneur Paula Nouvelle decided she wanted to try her hand at creating an indie event space, and Heck House in Scottsdale was born. Paula recently joined me via Zoom, along with Heck House board member and puppet artist Heidi Carpenter. Paula asked that we begin our conversation by giving her an opportunity to discuss her history with being hearing impaired and how it affects her way of doing business. They wasn't sure I was, I had deafness until I was at eight. And so they um, put me in speech impediment. I grew up on the dairy farm, so not in the deaf community. So I went to public school with a lot of speech therapy so that I could speak and communicate. I rely highly on hearing aids and reading lips. Having the internet really helps me a lot with a deaf person. And so that is something to keep in mind if anybody's trying to get in touch with Heck House, email's probably best for you, right? Yeah, it's very hard for me to do phone calls. I do all text messages and all emails. Very cool. So Paula, let's talk about the history of Heck House. It is in Scottsdale, which for some Atlantans 
feels so far away, but it's truly not. What is it, like 20 minutes from the city proper, 10 minutes from Decatur Square? Yes, it's very close. Scottsdale is uh, unincorporated DeKalb, so I am one mile from Clarkson, less than two miles from um, Avondale Estate, and just around the corner from North Decatur. And you have created this beautiful event space for indie performing arts of all sorts. How did you end up buying this house and deciding that you wanted it to be a venue? Very good question. I worked a lot with other artists, especially during the indie film, probably in the early uh, 2000s. But I saw the dramatic changes and how artists struggle to afford things and how things get really expensive in Atlanta. So my main goal for this as a nonprofit was to make art affordable for people to do it so it's not an expensive hobby. So I worked very hard for artists to help make some money so you're not paying to do something that makes you happy and healthy. And also to be accessible to everybody. And also it's really for mental health. If we do what we love, we're more productive and happier. I totally get that. I think creativity is one of the pillars of mental health and one of the things that keeps us happy and fulfilled. Yes, and I'm trying to include other people because we are social beings. And I'm not really an artist myself, but I realized because of my internet skills, I'm really good at coordinating and help motivate artists to do things. So it's a small house built in 1941. So I gutted it, found original chip black wood under it, left it there. You can see the original paint from it. So it's a lot of repurposed art or upcycle things that's going on here. For those who are unfamiliar, but might be familiar with maybe Howard Finster's property, just a lot of reused materials and a lot of found objects, right? Yes, that is correct. I'm trying to encourage to get more art up. You have some American Sign Language on your mural? Yes, I have hat fell out on the mural. The mural is done by Jerk, J-E-R-T, with the artist for the house. It also had a large backyard because in the 40s, people still had home form. So mm-hmm. it's a long rectangle. So the back space is where we have our shows and performance. So it's mostly an outdoor venue. They also have like a homemade carport, but I call it the pavilion. It's very large and roomy, and that's perfect for when it rains. Perfect. Heidi, welcome. I would love to hear the story of how you became a board member of Peck House and how you met Paula. Yeah, I was very used to going to the puppet slams in Atlanta and Paula would always be there in the audience cheering us on. So I knew her through the world of puppetry and I would drive past that house in Scottsdale every day taking my daughter to DeKalb School of the Arts. So I started to see, oh, wow, that old you know, yucky looking house is starting to be spruced up. I wonder what's going on. And, and when she said a heck of a mural coming soon, I said, Oh my gosh, what does that mean? And I, I looked it up and I found out, Oh my gosh, that's Paula's house. And I messaged her on and said, I want to come see what you're doing and can I help? And, uh, you know, I started showing up and painting things and, um, she said, Hey, you want to be on the board? Okay. I, I don't know what that means, but sure. If it'll help you out, I'll do it. So I was one of the first board members, and now we're we're down to having the nitty-gritty meetings and, and filling out grant forms and stuff. So it's getting real, but it's great. I'm so proud of what Paula's accomplished, and uh, it's just a wonderful place to be. And you mentioned the puppetry slams. You are very active still in the puppet community, right? Yes, I'm the president of the Atlanta Puppetry Guild, and um, I, I've been to every slam for the last 10 years, I think. And, uh, you know, I haven't been performing a lot with the pandemic, but I've been performing at Heck House. <laughs> so, yeah, thank goodness for that. And what type of puppetry could people expect from you? Does it vary? Oh, yes. I kind of specialize in shadow puppets and crankies at the moment. And a cranky is just a, a scroll of paper that you decorate and, and color and make art on. And then you scroll it slowly through, you know, to a song or to a poem. And you can even have shadow puppets behind a cranky. So it's a, it's an art form that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. And I love bringing new things to people's attention. For kids, I do shadows as well, but also silly sock puppets that I make and, and food puppets, sandwich puppets, uh, ABC shows, lots of stuff for kids and adults. Aside from puppetry, Paula, can you talk about some of the other events that Heck House has had a chance to host? 
my first event was actually a drag show. The very first one was a drag show. We also have burlesque shows. Mostly I have is concerts right now. Different bands, even touring bands come by. I have other puppet shows like Toy Story. Or most popular past one was last minute Krampus during Christmas time. I also have plants, like workshops. They're not always shows. Sometimes they're workshops and interactive art projects and stuff. I have an event every weekend. So I encourage you to basically just look on my website. I have a happening and I list all my events there. Paula, do you live at Heck House? Yeah, so front part is public and then the back part where I live and I can lock doors. So I have it like two separate things. Is there any weirdness to living at your event space? Like if something's running late and you just want to go to bed? That is the benefit of it. It's not uncommon for me because I get up early in the morning and do a lot of online work. At the night, I'm like, I'm not pushing you out, but I'm going to bed. That's hysterical. And Heidi, I am aware that at one point you wrote a poem as an ode to Heck House. Would you be comfortable reading it? Oh, I was hoping I'd get to. I have it right here. I perform this for Paula at one of the open mic nights. So two years ago was Heck's first event on my daughter Joy's 18th birthday. So of course we went. We painted a picnic table for fun and our sugar skull design almost won. The Heck House pets are sweet as can be. Dubois, Tess, and Vax always say, please pet me. I've led puppet workshops and sold merchandise. The Heck House atmosphere is always quite nice. And don't get me started on all the amazing shows, drag, music, burlesque. Then what? Who knows? Many of my friends have performed in this space. Lucy Juggles, Bean and Bear, and Toy Box put smiles on my face. I've carved pumpkins, painted pews, and done open mics. I document it all on the socials and get lots of likes. These pandemic years have been really hard, but everything feels better when we can hang out in this yard. So thank you, Paula and Heck House, for all that you have done to make the world brighter and to help us all have fun. Heidi Carpenter, puppet artist and board member of Heck House and the venue's founder, Paula Novell. Heck House currently has a ton of music shows on their schedule, including a Valentine's show this weekend called To Heck With Love, and it features Billy Bats and the Made Men. More information is available on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, City Lights producer Summer Evans speaks with another artistic Atlanta entrepreneur, Sean Crenshaw, creator of Ovation for Men. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Kim Drobes, in for Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. The idea that every man deserves to be celebrated regardless of race, age, or ability is the theme behind Atlanta entrepreneurs Sean Crenshaw's new cologne line, Ovation. City Lights producer Summer Evans recently spoke with Crenshaw and learned what inspired him to go into the fragrance industry. You know, it goes back to me being a kid, to be honest. My dad was a big fragrance collector and connoisseur and he was very prideful of his collection and growing up in a house with a dad that collects fragrances, naturally you're going to get exposed to fragrances and, and just to hear those stories of the things that he experienced wearing his fragrances. And I was always curious. I would sneak in his room and look at his fragrances that he had. And it led to me having this idea of, of creating my own fragrance. You know, as a kid, you dream about doing things uh, that you may see your parents do or some of the loves and passions of your parents. And it kind of planted that seed of creating a fragrance. And, you know, I saw other designers have their name on a bottle. I thought, wow, how cool would that be to have my name on a bottle? And to bring it all home, you know, I was in elementary school and I was having, I had a big crush on this girl in school. And I was just coming home, just frustrated that she was not paying any attention to me. Everything that I did to try to get her attention, it failed. And so I was telling my dad, he said, hey, I, I got something for you. So he pulled a fragrance from his dresser and I can't even remember the fragrance and he sprayed it on me before I went to school. And he was like, you know what? Just walk around her and just be around her. And just 
see what happens. And my dad must have knew something because recess that day, I, I did exactly that. I just, you know, I just kind of went around her and went in her presence and she smelled me. She smelled what I was wearing. And she was like, excuse me, you know, what, what's your name? Hey, come over here. <laughs> what you are know, you wearing? <laughs> yeah, what are you wearing? That smells good. And she invited me to come and join she and her friends out on recess. And then for lunch, you know, she invited me to sit at her table. And so I went home and I told my dad and he was like, hey, that's the power of fragrance. And so at that point, I realized, man, if a fragrance can help me make my dreams come true, then I'm surely you know, I can create a fragrance to help other people make their dreams come true. And that's how the idea really started. Well, dad gave good advice and it inspired a dream come true. <laughs> yes, yes. You've gone through several batches and iterations of your cologne and finding your signature scent. Can you tell us about your journey when you first started and launched the business five years ago to now? Yeah, so, you know, I didn't know anything about fragrance outside of being a consumer. And so it required me to do some due diligence, do some research. So before I actually launched the fragrance, I spent a couple of years doing research. I was going to fragrance conferences and I was on webinars just, just to learn. And it led me to meeting someone that was an ex-executive in the fragrance space. And I had an opportunity to just pitch my idea, pitch my story to him. And he basically was like, hey, you know what? You're onto something. That's a great idea that you want to create a fragrance dedicated to a market that traditionally is not catered to you know he he thought that that was an opportunity and he was like oh you know what hey I can work with you let me work with you and so I started working with him and he introduced me to a perfumer and introduced me to a fragrance manufacturing company and helped me navigate the process of finding a bottle and, and all the necessary components and packaging and we've been going strong you know ever since and it's just been a, a grassroots campaign but it took a lot of, you know, it took two years of planning and research before I was even able to launch a product and it was worth it. Yeah. And let's talk about the title of your clone, Ovation. Why did you want this to be the name of your business? It all started really when the idea came about or when I took it serious to bring the idea to life. There was a lot going on in society. I mean, you know, I'll take it all the way back to the Ferguson riots, you know, the incident with Michael Brown and and you push forward to Trayvon Martin and the incident even in New York with the young man that was choked to death for selling cigarettes outside of a store. And, and then even most recently that we had in Minneapolis with George Floyd. I wanted, with all of that being the backdrop, I wanted to create a fragrance that celebrated African-American men. And, and primarily just my humble contribution to create something that would inspire and motivate and provide a different narrative than what was currently out, you know, in media and just in the psyche of, of young men in America. And so the name, I wanted it to encapsulate the celebration of, you know, African-American men. And so I, as I did my research, I came across ovation, the word ovation, and it, it didn't exist in the fragrance space. And I said, man, what better word to really encapsulate my idea? And as I shared the name with people, I mean, instantly people think of, you know, an, an applause, a standing ovation. And we also coined the tagline, every man deserves an ovation. And so that's kind of at the core of the brand is celebrating and recognizing that every man, no matter their age, no matter their color, no matter where they're from, deserve an ovation, deserve to be celebrated. And for me, I'm focusing on African-American men to kind of address what I see that's lacking in the narrative of, of African-American men. And so I think it's, it's appropriate and really explains what it's all about. And speaking of the lack of representation of African-American men in the fragrance industry, why do you think Black perfumers and Black-owned fragrance brands are so few and far between? I think it really starts with just not even realizing that it's a possibility. And, and again, this is not a knock to the other brands, you know, to the Tom Ford of the world or the Calvin Kleins or, or you know, Ralph Lorenz. I mean, it's not a knock against them, but it's just the absence of the imagery, the absence of the possibility leads to people thinking that it can't be done or thinking that it's not an option 
as a young entrepreneur or business person trying to come up with a, a new product or even explore the opportunities in fragrance, it's just, you don't see it. It's not prevalent. And so I thought it was important to kind of just address that and make the possibility real and hopefully to inspire other young entrepreneurs or people that are interested in fragrance that you're a person of color or, or anyone, if you're female or you're foreign or, you know, anyone that's marginalized or not fully represented, I wanted my brand to kind of stand as a beacon to inspire and show the possibilities of what can be done and to show that the market will respond positively to a brand that's dedicated to recognizing and celebrating folks that have been underrepresented in the space. And what have been some of those responses and feedback? Oh, it's been it's been great. I mean, people send me messages all the time saying, wow, Sean, it's inspiring. I'm sharing it with my son. You know, I'm getting it for my dad. Because here's the deal. You know, if you look at traditional fragrance advertising, and this is across the board, but here's the, here's the standard imagery. It's some guy in a Speedo with a six pack, with his hair slicked back, emerging out of out of an ocean or a pool. Somewhere exotic. Yeah, somewhere <laughs> exotic, exactly, in some scene of grandeur, you know. And, and again, that's the traditional imagery. And I wanted to show that there's other imagery that resonates with the consumer base that's not necessarily that stereotypical look for a fragrance, you know. And so, yes, fragrance is about sex appeal, which is a, a theme, a storyline that a lot of the designer fragrances and you know, they rely on, but there are other storylines. There, there are other stories that resonate and speak to fragrance. For me, it's where fragrance intersects with life. People share their stories with me about, you know, this is the fragrance I was wearing when I met my wife. You know, this is the fragrance that I was wearing when I had that big interview and I got that big job that changed my life. Or this is the fragrance my dad was wearing that I remember when I was a kid, when he hugged me on my way to school. You know, those are all storylines that are atypical to a guy in a Speedo with a six pack. And so I just, I wanted to address that. I wanted to address that and, and, make, and make sure that my brand did not neglect those storylines and more so than just neglect them, but actually celebrate them and bring them forward. When people wake up in the morning, they see themselves in the mirror and then they go out into the world these various touch points, and they don't see anything or anyone that is similar to what they witnessed in the mirror that morning, it can have an impact on your confidence. It can have an impact, you know, on just how you think about yourself in the world. And because fragrances play a big part in, you know, in memory and, and confidence, you know, we wanted to tie those pieces together. I wanted to tie it together you know, yes, you are represented in the world. Yes, you are important. And yes, you are celebrated. You know, we wanted to make it relatable and make it authentic. Mm, beautifully done. How would you describe your signature scent? Well, we categorize it as, as a fresh aromatic blend, you know, and so it opens with a bright blast of citrus, of bergamot, coupled with cardamom, which is a spice, and some aquatic notes. So the opening blast, the opening spray, the top notes, is citrus with some spice and some aquatic notes, real fresh and airy. And then maybe three minutes after those notes dry down, you get to the middle notes and it's a well-blended craft, leather, tobacco, and vanilla. And so you get the signature right there in the middle. Um, the vanilla sweetens up the leather and the tobacco. And so it, it's really, that's what really makes the fragrance stand out. And then after uh, those notes dry down, you get down to the base notes and you're going to get a combination of oak moss, vetiver, and amber. So again, some nice woods, uh, not too strong. And the amber softens it up. And so in totality, you get a fragrance that opens, grabs attention with the bright citrus. Then it kind of cools down to the leather and the vanilla and the vetiver and the amber. And you get this nice, sensual, soft and inviting fragrance, but still stands out in the crowd. What was the process like to get to this signature scent? Oh, boy, my perfumer and I, I mean, we went through various iterations. Um, and I tell you, you get a batch from the perfumer, you get a sample and, you know, we smell it and we make notes and just keep tweaking it. You know, add a little of this, take away, take away a little of this. This is almost like cooking. I'll tell you, that's what it's like. It's like, it's like <laughs> okay. you know, it's being in the kitchen with your grandmother or your, your, your parents or someone and you're making a batch of, of, of stew 
or something and you know and you're tasting it as you go and and you figure out okay let's add a little of this let's add a little of that and here's the thing with with building a fragrance you don't start the process with the recipe i mean it's a it's a complete exploration you know a complete creative process and if you can imagine being in the kitchen with just a counter full of ingredients and just ask to make something that's kind of what making a fragrance is and, and you have the expertise of a perfumer who kind of understands the ingredients understands the the notes and how they how they interact to help guide you on the process but throughout the process yeah you're you're pausing to kind of test your creation my process took about three months three months of sending samples back and forth from my perfumer in st louis and we finally got got something we, again we feel real proud of yeah. Did you ever feel like you've smelled so many samples they started to blend together, like oh, yeah. trying to differentiate well, between you, them? Yes, yes. But here's the other good benefit, though, is as we were building, we recognized that there were certain points in the process where we kind of created a mini fragrance. Like we would we would make note like, oh, let's make note of this combination because this may be a future women's fragrance or this may be a future ovation for men blue or ovation for men red. You know, so what was great about it going through the process is we hit these marks where these benchmarks or these these places in the development is like, ooh, let's make note of this because we can use this combination later when we expand the brand. They call them flankers. You can create a flank of fragrance to your main fragrance. And so we actually have, I have like maybe four recipes, prototype recipes for four other fragrances already on the shelf. Okay, so stay tuned for Ovation 2 or Ovation Blue in the future. Yes, yes, stay tuned. Stay tuned. It's coming. <laughs> Sean Crenshaw, founder of the fragrance line Ovation for Men. More information is available on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Finally today, we launched a new series yesterday called Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from local musicians in their own words. In case you missed yesterday's show, here's the next chapter in our series, today featuring J.J. Garrison. Hi, my name is J.J. Garrison, and I play guitar and sing in a band called J.J. and the Hustlers. I guess you could describe our music as alternative Americana. It's a 30 miles on a country road. And I'm heading on down, all the way back home. It's a 30 mile. Atlanta is home because I was born here, and my family lives here, and all my friends are here. I also toured around a lot, playing gigs and checking out all the other cities, which are all great, but Atlanta is just right. All the way back home. 30 Miles is a tale about a soldier that has been at war for 16 long years and is desperately trying to make it back home. He is so shot up and ravaged from the war that he dies before he can complete the 30 mile journey back to his home where his wife is longing for his return. I started playing music pretty young. About the age of four or five, I would sing Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog to my mom and dad and whoever else would listen. After that, I graduated to Elvis and playing guitar and drums in the sixth grade. In high school, we used to play in a cover band and play all the homecoming dances and house parties. Steel is a dark song about begging for forgiveness. The lyrics started in jail while I was trying to sleep on a bench that was ice cold stainless steel. Needless to say, I was wishing I hadn't wound up in there. Cold, 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 
we have a new record out entitled Burned on the Grill. You can find it on Spotify or order the vinyl on Etsy. performing live at the Earl on February 19th with the Pinks, another longtime Atlanta favorite. Musician J.J. Garrison of the band J.J. and the Hustlers from our series, Speaking of Music. More information is available on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater is coming to town, and Lois will be speaking to artistic director Robert Battle. City Lights host and executive producer is Lois Reitzis. Summer Evans is our producer and our engineer is Shelly Canavy. I'm senior producer Kim Drobes and I invite you to connect with us on social media. You can find us at WABE City Lights on both Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow Lois on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate and thanks.